Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. And I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And this is another devmode.fm stand-up where Patrick and I are just going to kind of get together and talk about some stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, just catch up and wildly popular on Twitter now. I, I'm excited. People are <laughs> reacting. People are here. We have almost a dozen people here on YouTube. If you're not, you know, if you're listening now sometime in the future and you're like, man, I'd love to hear this stuff live, tune in. We do these on Friday afternoons. Well, I don't know, Patrick. I appreciate your marketing hyperbole, but I don't know about the whole wildly popular thing. Like, I don't think we're quite wildly popular, you know? We had fan praise, people coming in saying that they prefer these <laughs> to the normal demo episodes there was one person and that's you know one person saying that is not wildly... people are saying many people are saying no no that's not wildly popular that's mildly popular <laughs> there we go <laughs> <laughs> but anyway yeah. i wanted to i think we should we got a couple things that we got to recap right so we're starting yeah, to get more uh... a little more organized we know that we've got some stuff that we want to fill people in and, and recap that we didn't uh people need closure i think is what it is we do the entire country needs closure really on your bet this is going back to our first <laughs> stand up. Andrew, you made a bet with a, a person who I would say is detached from reality and believed that Joe Biden was, you know, this was maybe January 10th or something, you know, well after electoral counts have been voted and whatnot. But this person believed that actually, no, Joe Biden is not going to be president. The military will stage a coup. Don't worry. The person is detached. And you made a bet. I believe this person was giving 40 to one odds or something. I don't know how the world of betting works, but essentially if America fell apart, you'd also be financially in trouble. But given that we're here, February 12th, we did have a peaceful transfer of power. That's a good thing. Did you also get to collect on your bet from this from this person? Yeah. And so it ended up being that if I won, I would win $2,000. And if he won, he would win something 80? ridiculous, like 80 grand or something like that. But, yeah. So we'd have civil war and you'd be out 80 grand. So. But it was also just never happening. But I have good news, Patrick. I have good oh, news. Oh, my goodness. I have good uh, news. Here, let's get some good foliage work there let's hear that on the mic That's so $2, i collected dollars yeah 20 benjamins yeah i collected on the, the the bed he was real good about it he he brought it he even delivered it which is fantastic so yeah you know. but he still has his doubts you've talked to this person still and he believes that something was afoot and listen i i don't know how much is him and how much is the the people that he's talking to like i have no idea because like he, he'll send me stuff and he'll be like i didn't really look into this but these are what these people <laughs> the are telling pillow me. guys the my pillow guys make some very interesting arguments it, it, it basically is like the yeah. the my pillow guy stuff is kind of what he's <laughs> relating to me and i'm just like this uh, you know sorry man this doesn't make any sense but if there's anything you want to wager on let me know you know I mean, far be it for me to uh not deprive him and not even him oh so that's the other thing he apparently i don't think he has as much faith in this as maybe initially we thought he did because okay. apparently he was taking bets at a different ratio from other people and then laying yeah, them he's he, yeah. he doing like 10 to 1 over there and then laying them with me at 40 to 1 just so <laughs> he was kind of covered so i don't know how much he actually really believed it and I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Poker and game theory wins out in the end, even over conspiracy theories, I guess. <laughs> I would. I mean, one would hope that that would be the case, right? But the other thing that we wanted to, I wanted to catch people up on. So yeah, I got the money. Everything's all good. You know, no big yeah. deal. The other thing is, 
we talked about multi-architecture Docker images because you were giving me yeah. no end of grief. You were like, my provider of choice sucks because I don't have these native images or whatever. And I told you I wasn't going to do it. And then a couple of minutes later, later I told that you, afternoon, yeah. Well, I told you, then I told you I would do it. Well, I, see, that's the negotiating tactic, right? Whenever someone comes to you, Patrick, you immediately say, no, I can't do it. And then right. that's where you're negotiating from. So you can only go up from there, you know? Yeah. But yeah, later on that afternoon, after you mentioned to me that it, it wasn't anything you could PR, it was just a build right. step. I found the documentation on BuildX, which is this experimental thing that it will build a multi-architecture Docker image. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, uh, okay, let me try it. <laughs> so I just kind of tried it and it worked. Now, do you have to create a uh, personal access token and all that? I've been playing around with this as well, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Do you have to do anything like that to be able to push or was it already uh, plugged in? play well i already have an account on docker hub so i don't know maybe it's just not an issue because i created that but no i didn't make a personal access token at all one thing that i did have to do in order to do it was I had to create a builder. I don't really yep. understand that step or why I had to do that. Cause all you do is you create a builder and then you name it and then you use it and then everything just works. And I'm just like, well, why? I don't It feels one of those turtles stuff. all the way down. I don't know if you've taken a look. I, so I've had to do the same. I have an image that I host and we'll talk about that in a minute and why that's been less than fun. <laughs> It's one of those turtles all the way down things because once you make a builder, now in your list of Docker images, you have that builder in your list of Docker uh, containers. Okay. And I feel like you actually are spinning up a Docker container that now runs this experimental builder. I don't know why it's not just there. Maybe they just don't want to turn it on and fill people's list of containers wow. with this new experimental builder. I'm also yeah. wondering, maybe because on Docker desktop, I'm not signed in. Maybe that's why I had to go and get a personal access token and do a couple I think other so. Now that we say it, that makes sense. And yeah, and so hey, thank you for doing that. I I think the next day or the day after I got on and cleared out my old images and pulled the, the new shiny ARM64 image. How long did it take for you to build that image? Was it like a 10, 15 minute process? It took a while to build it. I, I it's was interesting surprised. the way that happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was actually uh, surprised at how long it took to build it. I was also thinking like, and they mocked me for having so many cores. Well, <laughs> I was doing a whole bunch of simultaneous BuildX builds to build the container images. And it wasn't really pegging the CPU, but it did take longer than I expected to build it. But I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. It's doing three builds from scratch. Three so, builds, and I'm sure it's emulating ARM in your setup. It's just doing a whole bunch of stuff to, to do that on your machine without a native ARM processor. So that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know how that works. I don't think it is necessarily emulating it because I know things like GCC and LLVM, you can just say whatever the output target should be. And mm. LLVM, for instance, it actually, you're going to love this. LLVM is, is a compiler that a lot of things are based on now. It used to be based on GCC, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of stuff is being built with LLVM and it has an interim, it's got its own interim kind of assembly language looking thing. Um, okay. Kind of like WebAssembly, Patrick. It actually, it actually kind of is like WebAssembly in some ways. But well, I would it's imagine an Android that, all built on LLVM. Yeah, like uh, Android built all their stuff on 
yeah. Well, yeah. I'm pretty sure Apple is using LLVM now too, and, and has been for a while, as opposed to GCC, which is what they, they used to be using. But I would imagine it it's kind of something like that, where it's okay. just is using whatever it's using, and it sets the output target, and it says, go build this thing, and it builds the architecture. So it doesn't necessarily have to run the instruction set in order to build to that target, but it is doing a lot of work to build it. So yeah, the, yeah. the multi-architecture images. And the other thing, and this is just me not having tons of experience with it, what I originally wanted to do was I wanted to build all of these images locally. Okay. So I, I built the base image locally, and then I had another image I wanted to build based on that. And I assumed I could do that locally, but then it went out to dockerhub.io to try and pull down the base image. Whereas my experience with Docker prior to that was if you have the image built locally, it will just use it locally. So this uh -huh. buildx thing must be outside of that normal flow somehow, but it, it just didn't do what I expected it would do. Hmm. Yeah, so I've played around as well. I have a Docker image that I use pretty much privately. It technically is public, but no one's really using it. And it, it's based off of yours. It's running PHP 7.2 for reasons. And for reasons. Because the server's on PHP 7.2. I don't know if you've heard of WHMCS. It's a, uh, what does it stand for? Like, it stands for WHM Commerce Solution, <laughs> which it's like web hosting, basically web hosting software. And it requires IonCube. Have you ever heard of IonCube? I have awful awful piece of technology that <laughs> encrypts and it essentially encrypts all of your php code into non-decipherable almost like it looks like binary and so these containers need to bring ion cube along with them and what's interesting is ion cube is pre-compiled essentially down to either arm or down to x86 so yeah when i tried to run build x it just exploded in a, in a fire so now i need to go and try to look and see have build x try to you know go in and look and see what's the target platform or the target architecture and then grab the correct binary the correct php module based on what it's building to so maybe working on that this afternoon because yeah it's been a big performance boost uh, yeah i've been talking with the m1 for a couple of weeks now having your stuff now running natively on arm you can feel the difference it, it feels like you know like i'm running on valet it's really nice nice um, the only issue i've had so far because a couple of people have asked there is an issue with like you do a lot of work with Xdebug and you can point it over to host.docker.internal so Xdebug can talk back to your IDE. Mm -hmm. There's some sort of problem with the mapping, so I have to manually map in my IP address. That's been the only real issue that I've had, but otherwise it's been fantastic. So you are no longer going to complain about your service provider, is that correct? Oh, there, there are always complaints. You know, being in the service industry, yeah, the complaints never stop. You made some big, pretty cool updates to your Docker images recently, which caused a client I have that uh, it's been running on the node dev base one. Everything just broke all of a sudden. I, I pulled the latest and everything just went up in flames. Very interesting. I don't know what was going on. I ended up having to go and dig in and, and find out. You must have used latest. So you it, must have, the image that you're using must have been based on latest. It might've been, but even that, I try to point it back to 11, a couple others, and I end up needing to uh, kind of fork wherever yours was back in August of last year. Yeah, I know. No, I need the, to. No, the, the node, the node eleven one hasn't changed at all. Something, something went terribly uh, it, wrong it, because. No, no, it has to be that they were. So when you base a Docker image on another one, you specify mm -hmm. kind of like Composer. You specify the the vendor and the package name, yeah. but then there's also a tag name or a version that is added to the end of it. And if you put it on latest, you're in yeah. for a ride. You're in yep. for a rough ride. And <laughs> the I actually edge, had, a, yeah. I had a couple of people contact me that they were using latest on the Node Dev one too. Mm -hmm. but you don't want to do that. Really, what you want to do is you want to specify version eleven or version. 
12 yeah. or Alpine 12 or, or whatever. Just so that, because latest really does mean latest. So yeah. when something major new comes out, expect that that's going to change <laughs> from underneath you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to, at some point we can compare because yeah, I had to like, it wasn't an emergency, but it killed our build for a couple of days where Webpack just blew up and it, it couldn't import modules. All sorts of weird stuff was going on. And now that I've ported back, I basically forked you where yours was back in uh, August of last year and now it's happy again. So something's different. There's some breaking change. We'll play, I'll, I'll, t I'll do some research and we'll, we'll talk about it next week. I'm pretty damn sure that if you set it back to the Node 11 tag and then you do a complete yeah. rebuild, everything because i didn't i haven't updated it at all i literally i know and it. i tried that i tried 11 we'll, we'll we'll dig into it we'll we'll keep people on the edge of their seats for next week all right <laughs> enough devops um, no 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 we didn't get into the the other so just a couple of the uh, the changes i made to the the docker setup so oh right yeah php i made php 8 images because yeah, why not yep. might as well start using php 8 and i enabled the jit so you know what is the, the jit so the jit is the just in time jit stands for just in time yeah and all right, so let's let's backtrack a little bit. So PHP is an interpreted language in mm -hmm. that it's written in this particular text file, right? And it used to be that it would just parse that text file and execute it. And then they came up with this thing called opcache. Mm -hmm. And because internally what it did was it parsed through the PHP and it kind of separated it out into tokens, into like a, a bytecode format. And what opcache does is it said, hey, why, why are we rebuilding this tokenized thing every time? Let's just save that. Let's hang on to that. And next time things execute, let's just use that and skip that step. You know, and there's some provisions in the middle for making sure that the file didn't change from out underneath you and all that kind of stuff. And the JIT mm -hmm. is taking and, gonna, and let's jump in because I know Nevin Line of Arcus Tech fame is, is in the chat. Uh, we skipped yeah. over APC. APC was another oh, right. uh, technology that did something along the way. But Opcache is kind of where things have been now for uh, maybe since 5.3, 5.4. Been around for a while. And yeah, like you said, it kind of puts almost like bytecode. Um, it really caches things pretty well. What is the JIT just in time? Yeah, and so as, now that you mentioned it, yeah, I do want to say hi to Nevin and to Kayer and to Andrea for, for showing up. So thanks for showing up and everyone else who's there in chat. Thanks for coming. So the JIT. So JIT is something that is used in a lot of places and it is actually being used on your beloved M1. Is it? It is. So JIT is like a general purpose term for something. It okay. just stands for just in time. Yep. So what's happening, you're running Rosetta 2, I think is what they're calling it on your M1. And what happens is when you run an application that is compiled for Intel, yep. what it does is it interjects itself and it recompiles it into ARM as you run it. And mm -hmm. the interesting thing about JIT is they can be passive in that it'll recompile it once and then just be done with it. And the other thing that it can do is it can be adaptive in that it will optimize things as you're running the app and make it better and better. I don't really know how Rosetta 2 works under the hood. I would imagine it probably does both. From what um, I've heard, Rosetta 2 typically happens the first time you open the app. The, they say like running the app for the first time, you're going to get some delay and then yeah. it's going to be fast, probably even faster than it was natively on Intel. But yeah, it typically, it, it happens. I don't believe that. No, there have been benchmarks that. that says literally, you know, apps run faster on this than they do in native. Then why so. didn't your Docker images run faster? Oh, I don't know. There's just so many turtles. <laughs> all the way down on that. It's all <laughs> Intel running Intel running Intel. And at some point it caught up with it. All right. So getting back to, and we're, we're giving poor Nevin a heart attack when he's hearing about APC. <laughs> and so let's not bring up old technologies that are, that are hurting him. But anyway, so the, there's a JIT in PHP now too. 
that instead of translating this thing into an opcode that it then goes through, it will actually turn it into native code, chunks of native code that it will then mm. execute to do the thing. So that sounds really awesome, and it sounds incredibly amazing, right? So craft um, is way faster now with JIT, right? No. Oh. <laughs> or at least, I don't know. I, I should say, I don't know. Maybe? Beca Maybe? It's possible. possible. So okay. the, the early benchmarks that I've seen are kind of similar to WebAssembly again, Patrick, mm. which you love. Okay. Where WebAssembly just will blow the doors off of JavaScript if it's a CPU-intensive computation thing, like a Mandelbrot set or something like that. Sure. It yeah. will just crush it. But if it's dynamic JavaScript-y stuff, it's not necessarily going to be faster. And I'm sure it's, it's jumping kinda... in and out of the request and on and off the disk. It's not just churning and like processing an image or video or right. something like that. Yeah. yeah, and it's the same thing with the CMS to, to an extent, where you've got this big beast where lots of stuff is... Is getting loaded but it's just it's executing through this path once and then it bails out you know mm. so and i don't know the life cycle i know that you set a an amount of memory for the jit to be able to use so i would imagine it's going to cache this stuff kind of like opcache does and keep it in yep. ram i've done no tuning of it i haven't tried to figure out how much is it using how much is it not i just decided to just turn it on for the php 8 images because i'm just like yolo like why not let's just <laughs> try it out let's see what happens it feels snappy i have no idea if it's just because of PHP 8 or it's because of the JIT. I haven't done any kind of timing tests, but I just is, I decided to turn it on. Is dev mode running on PHP 8 yet? In production, it's running on 7.4. Okay. Um, oh, no. If you're talking about... So, yeah. If you go to github.com slash nystudio107 and find the dev mode repo, mm -hmm. if you pull that down and do a Docker compose up, there, there's literally four steps to get that up and running. Yeah. If you do that, it's going to be running in PHP 8. Yeah, I did enable that. So if anyone wants to like try it and see what the JIT is like, and if you've ever tried it before, you'll probably have to do Docker compose up dash dash build just to make sure the containers get rebuilt. But yeah, it's running it. Everything seems really snappy. I mentioned it to, to Brad Bell, I think, and he kind of made fun of me. He's just like, well, I'm glad you've got some technology that doesn't offer any marginal improvement, but adds complexity or you know, he said something, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I did and launch, uh, yeah, I launched my first PHP 8 craft site a week ago. Hmm. I think we, it was pretty seamless. There was one SEOmatic thing we found, which had a weird error message that con completely contradicted, like the error message contradicted what was in the code. Yeah, uh, not your code, hilarious. just yeah. PHP, like gave literally the opposite error message. The um, error message was an array walk recursive. Yep. And you, you need to pass in the first parameter by reference. Okay, so mm -hmm. I guess we should talk about the difference of passing stuff in by reference versus by value. Mm. So if you have a function, so let's say that we pass in a number to our function and the, the variable name is X. In our function, we, <laughs> we do something like X equals X times two. So in the context of the function, X is now 20 or uh, two, two, two times, yeah, two times yeah, whatever yeah. we pass uh, in. I didn't know that was a quiz. <laughs> yeah. So basically when that function returns though, the variable that you passed in is gonna be unchanged, right? In other words, if you pass it by value, you're taking the value of this variable, you're passing it into that function. And when that function returns, the value of that variable will be completely unchanged. Yep. When you pass something by reference, which in PHP you do by putting a little ampersand in front of it, mm -hmm. what you're saying is don't pass in the actual value. You're passing in the, what is essentially a pointer for any C programmers out there. You're passing mm -hmm. a pointer to the value into the function so that if you modify that variable inside of the function, it's going to change back in the in the previous function, right? Yeah. So you're 
essentially so, you're retaining a connection back to whatever the original variable was or whatever the original value was. And again, for the live people, Zencaster, great tool if you turn on the recording. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I texted you just now. Yeah. God damn it. Oh my God. Should I even bother now? Yeah. Yeah, throw it on. All right, Patrick, I started the recording. <laughs> All right. Well, we so, should do a we should do a pod sometime on how we record dev mode. That might be interesting. No, actually. no. People are going to be like, "What are you doing?" You know. Yeah. In, in any event, so normally you're passing stuff to functions by value, right? Normally you want to pass in the value of the thing, and you don't want there to be any side effects or artifacts, as they call them, where you're you're changing stuff in the function you're calling. In the case of array walk recursive, you want to pass in the first parameter, which is the array by reference, so that that function can modify the array and do whatever it wants to. The second parameter is the keys, I believe, and you're not supposed to pass that in by reference, apparently. You used to be able to do either one, like it didn't make a difference. Well, now in PHP 8, it throws an error and it says that the second parameter was passed in by value. It should be by reference. Right which is wrong. It's the opposite of what's happening. So what I was doing was I was passing it in by reference, which is what it really should have been be about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did what the I did what the error message said I should be doing. And I, you know, I knew I'm like, okay, clearly the error message is wrong. I just need to reverse mm -hmm. what the error message is telling me to do. And I did that and everything worked fine, but it was just kind of funny. Like I'm sure there'll be a bug filed somewhere for PHP that says it's kind of obscure that says that, that error message is is just plain wrong. But anyway, so that's in there. It's got PHP 8, it's it's got the JIT in there. And everything seems to be working good. I haven't done any tests, like turning the JIT off and doing timings and turning it back on again. One of the other things that's in there is uh, I got Imagic up and running in there. Is that how you pronounce it? Imagic? How do you pronounce I'm, it? iMagic. I don't know. Imagic? It's one of these words that we never pronounce, yeah. like speak to another human that I, I have no idea. It's iMagic with a K on it. I don't know. What's the actual image? What's the actual but it's image? Image magic. Image magic. So you that's made... why I pronounce it imagic. You know. <laughs> All right. But image. Okay. So this is there's some confusion over this too. So do you know what the difference between image magic and imagic is, Patrick? This is a little trivia, trivia test for you. And if anybody in chat, if you know the difference between image magic and imagic, let me know. Patrick, do not Google. I'm watching your Google. hands. Look, my hands are right here. Uh, image magic is the library for image manipulation and imagic or imagic as sane people call it is the php adapter that kind of hooks in and lets you know it's a php module that allows it to be utilized by php for image manipulation how did i do god damn you're i'm yeah. impressed patrick i am impressed <laughs> i didn't i didn't think you're gonna know it but yeah no, i know yeah image magic is sort of a generic command line tool that can do image manipulation and lots of different things can use it, not just PHP. And Imagic is a PHP interface that then calls that library. Well, hey, look, man, if the thing is called Image Magic, I'm going to call this other thing Imagic, okay? <laughs> I just like you, you took the, the word magic is right there, and you just said, no, I'm, I'm sticking with image. Well, you don't call it iMagic. Maybe we should ask the founder. It's, it's about, Maybe we should it's ask about the creator images. of Imagic. I'm sure he would love us to file a GitHub issue about well, Imagic. So, well, no, well, that's the fun thing. So you'd be like, Andrew, what's the big deal? You know, you put, put Imagic in your PHP 8 image. Like, who cares? Like, everyone does this. Well, the thing is, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
there's no tagged. So there's a thing called Peckle, which is a, a way to install PHP extensions, essentially. And there is no tagged version for PHP 8 of Imagic. I'm going to keep calling it that. I don't care what you say. You can shake your head. Doesn't matter to me. I'm going to still, I'm going to do it. So there's no version for it. So the only way you can do it is to compile it from source, which is horrible. The funny thing is there is actually a thread on there with people complaining about this and it's actually fixed and it's working in the master branch, but nothing is tagged and nothing is released. And the author is just, I actually have some sympathy yeah, to the author. So. The author is just like, well, hey, you didn't care about it before. You didn't sponsor it before. I don't like maintaining this project. People are coming in 24, of- 48 hours before the release of PHPA saying, what's wrong with you? Why haven't you gotten this up? And he's like, I'll get to it. But yeah, you know, this is open source. And, uh, you, know, you know, there was someone, I believe, from Heroku who was giving him... Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think there was a something a little bit lost in no. translation. But yeah, basically saying like, we're relying on this, like, come on. And he's like, well, if you want to sponsor me, like if this is so important to your big multi-billion dollar business, maybe you want to support open source a little more. But of course, the, and, the methods for supporting open source are are difficult. Well, and honestly, I, I think that he's right, because I think that the people, people in air quotes that should be paying for open source are these big companies that are benefiting from it. I don't think, you know, I mean, it's it's all well and good if individuals want to sponsor things, but really it should be the companies that are reaping massive benefits from these things that should be sponsoring them. So, yeah. you know, I have some sympathy for him about this, you know, and he's yeah. just like, yeah, he's not saying, he's not holding a hostage, no. but he's just like, look, where were, where were you? If this thing is so important, why don't you sponsor it? You're yeah. and a multi-billion are, dollar company. Like, give People me some are pressuring money. him to release it and tag it as PHP ready and then if there's a mountain of bugs that come out because he's been rushed on it now it's on him and he's probably yeah. up late at night with people saying my site is down and yeah so as annoying as it is to me that this thing isn't available i have some sympathy for him i'm like yeah okay i get it man like you're and this is not even it's one thing when you're maintaining something and you use it every day and you really care about it and it makes a difference to you but he's saying he's like i don't even use this thing like he's yeah. probably in a totally different space now yep. you know doing something else and he needs to because of the typed parameters that are in php 8 he needs to be careful about how everything is constructed and it's not a it's not a simple thing and it's not getting his 100 percent attention yep. and people People aren't paying him to do it. So why why would he make it a priority, right? Yeah. Anyway, what people were saying to do is to just build and compile this thing from source, but it's kind of a pain and it's kind of gross. And I managed to find a way in one of the threads there that what you actually do is you, you check it out from Git and you fool the PHP extension system into thinking that it's already there. Mm-hmm. And you just tell it, hey, make a PHP extension out of this and it just works. Mm-hmm. So it's I think it's like two lines of code. And it's in my PHP 8 Alpine image. Okay. So you can just see what's in there. But it's just something that, you know, someone else came up with it. I just repurposed it and used it. But it works good. And so now we've got Imagic in there, and we've got PHP 8, and we've got Xdebug 3, and I, I scammed the config from you, which is now only three lines, which it's, is awesome. Yeah, it's nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I confirmed that that all works. I sent it to you and I messaged you like, that's it? It's, I'm like, yeah. Xdebug yeah, 3 this- is just such a cleaner, uh, yeah, just a cleaner UI for enabling it's really it's nice that is one thing that i did do some timing tests though of the the regular container versus the debug container without x debug in it at all and there were performance differences in it 
So, sure. but it, but it's a whole world of difference from two to three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I guess my point is the dual container thing is still probably a, a nice way to keep going if you you care about local PHP performance, you know. But yeah, all all that's updated and uh, it's in the dev mode repo if anyone wants to pull it down and play with PHP eight and the JIT. But it's also in my craft base starter, like they're based off of the the eight images now. So that's that's all good to go. That was pretty cool. Yeah. You have some notes here, TypeScript in view two and three. Tell me about that. What, what, what's on your mind there? Well, so one of the things that I've been working on, I'm, I'm working on that large update for image optimize, where a big part of it is I'm building out a nice GUI for visualizing the sources. I want to make it super easy to make image source sets and all that kind of stuff. So to do that, I'm using Vue. On some front-end sites that I've been working on, I've moved over to Vue 3, which is kind of nice. There's some nice improvements in it. It's all written in TypeScript now. It's TypeScript through and through, which is fantastic because... I also have, I adopted TypeScript a while ago, and I've been gradually adding that to projects as I go. And I really kind of wanted to use Vue 3 on this, not not necessarily for the composition API, okay. because most of what I'm doing, the component-based approach is still the right way to do it. You know, they're visual components that have a one-to-one correspondence with what's displayed on the front end. Mm-hmm. And the composition API really kind of solves the problem of how do you modularize components so that you can bring in just a little bit of functionality. You can almost think of them as, if you're used to Twig, think of them as partials that you include. Mm-hmm. You know? Like traits in PHP almost. Yeah, or just, you know, a way to modularize stuff that you can then combine it together. So let's say you've got a view and then you've got some kind of a, I don't know, like a a zoom behavior or something, right? Mm -hmm. The idea being you can just, you can put that zoom behavior in one thing and then you can just pull it in where you need it and don't use it where you don't need to use it rather than writing a whole new component or a component that inherits from another one. Or For what I'm doing, the composition API is nice as it is. I don't really get a huge benefit from doing it. So I'm writing everything just using the the regular object or component notation. But I still kind of wanted to use Vue 3 just because I'm using it in other places and I I like simplifying my life, man. I like just using one thing and that's where I use yeah, it. Yeah, it gets you know, out of the technical debt doghouse. You know, if you're building a Vue 2 now, you're just putting off now an upcoming transition to Vue 3. I get it. I, I've used Vue 3 and I didn't see an immediate benefit, but it did feel good knowing that we were building something in the future state, not the, the past state, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think the reason you didn't see the benefit was things were not constructed. <laughs> their with their dev tools were broken at the time that we were building it. Well, there was that too, but yeah. but also things were not constructed in a way that actually leveraged the composition API. You know, things were not split off into their own little use functions and that kind uh-huh. of stuff. And But in my case, they wouldn't be either, right? For this particular project, I, I mean, they could be, but there's no real benefit. But I can't use Vue 3. Well, so Ransom Roberson is going to say that I'm wrong, but I can't use Vue 3 because this is inside of the craft CP. So really what I need to be doing is I need to be using whatever version of Vue that they are using inside there. Because I got to coexist in their ecosystem. Now, Ransom says... Where you you could bring in your own and and alias it out to something else and run your own side-by-side Vue 3 alongside their Vue 2? I don't know. It might be possible to do that. You're right that it might be possible to do that. 
Because that's the real rub, right? So if you just import it normally, you'll get a, a global view on hanging off the window. So what happens if, if Craft already has view instantiated somewhere? Like, what is it going to end up being? Is it going to overwrite it? Is there a way to import it such that it's in a, a separate variable? I mean, possibly. But I was... Jake, just run in no conflict mode. Easy. Done. I don't... <laughs> You're like, oh. I don't think there is one. I don't, I don't think know. there is a no conflict mode. Anyway, I'm sure it is possible to do this. But the gain, because I'm not leveraging the composition API anyway, the gain is kind of small. Yeah. So I'm just like, screw it. Like, I'm just going to use the, the built-in view asset that they're using for it. Yeah. I'm happy with it. I know that I could use the composition API despite it being view two. Like, you can just pull that in and start using it. But again, there's no real advantage to using the composition API in what I'm doing specifically. I've had some fun doing the, the stuff that I'm working on. I've had some, I've had a whole lot of nested components and in terms of the messaging and bubbling props back and forth and getting all that sorted out so it works with a nice model has been, been a learning experience. I know that you're a fan of, what is it, Emmet or something use, like that? Yeah, MIT, kind of, MIT, M-I-T-T. Yeah, we, we used it, I mean, out of necessity. We were looking for child-to-child component communication on it was a project you and i worked on with jonathan melville and yeah essentially they if you had vuex running i think you can do it all in vuex we weren't using vuex in that project mid is this very simple little event bus so that you can use to just send events from one thing to another just javascript application wide and yeah it allowed us to have you know say my button says i just got clicked it can set it in and then it fires that out to anyone who's listening for an i just got clicked event and maybe a modal will then listen and say oh they clicked on the modal button let me pop up that modal just to put into very simple terms of why we used it it was if anyone's ever looking for a very simple way to get different parts of their page and different elements in their dom or their view application talking to each other mid is m-i-t-t throw a link in the show notes is a nice little very small like hundreds of bytes large little library for doing so yeah and i ended up using bbind.sync okay which is essentially a shortcut for an emitting and a listening pattern for emitting the stuff up. And there's another thing you can do V on and you set mm-hmm. that to dollar sign listeners, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And then you can inherit all of the listeners from the parent. So it kind of allows you to make sure that you're listening to it's the cases where you've got like a grandchild component that the grandparent needs to know about the state change, but not necessarily the parent and you know, sorting all that stuff out. But got it. The general idea with view is that props come down. In other words, kind of variables are, are passed in. Uh-huh. And if you want to change them, what you do is you emit an event so that things that are interested in can listen to the event and they can change it. So I've got a parent sizes container component that has a lot of the, the data that's being manipulated. So it controls that data and it owns it. And you don't really want child components to be able to mutate or change that state because then you run into issues like who's stomping on who, who's overwriting what variables, all that kind of stuff. So what you do is you have a child component, like maybe an an input field that is then changing some value that is coming from the parent component. Instead of trying to change it directly, and it's called mutating a a prop, what you do is emit an event that says, hey, I changed this thing. And then the parent listens for that and it it sees that it was changed. And then the parent is responsible for updating its own data. Mm -hmm. So really all that it's trying to do is keep all the data located in the component that owns it. And that component that owns it is the only one that then updates it. And that's why there's this, it seems like a lot of work. Yeah, but, but it keeps everything those... contained yeah. and yeah, it's not dependent on something else being there and it's its own cohesive, cont- you know, ours depends on a whole bunch of things being present on the page for anything to kind of work properly. 
And the, the thing about it is, it's one of those things that when you're first getting into it, you're like, ah, oh, this is a lot of work to do stupid stuff. Like, I'm just changing a value. Why is it so hard? But it spares you the, the five-hour debugging session where you're trying to figure out why some value is getting stomped on. And it's some component all the way down the line that is the one that is changing it and screwing it up. So that's why it exists. But anyway, it's been, it's been fun to do. I haven't had as much time to invest on working on it as I would like, but I've really been enjoying doing the work on it while I've been doing it. Shockingly, I don't know what's going on. Like I had like a support avalanche recently where there's lots of people were <laughs> having problems. Yeah. I don't know. My least favorite thing, Pat, or not my least favorite, but one one thing that is frustrating is when people are like, uh, well, your plugin works on my local development, but when <laughs> I put it on when I put it on the staging site, it doesn't work. And you know, I mean, obviously I'm helping these people and I'm you know, I'm not putting them down or anything, but look, if it works in one place and doesn't in another, probably it's an yeah. environmental difference. You know, probably it's some kind of setting in one place versus the other, you know, because it's the same project. Right. So, you know, and then the frustrating thing about that is then then the, the only way I can really help them is by helping them to debug their environment and I don't have access to their environment. So how can I really help? I wonder, there are a few things that SEOmatic does automatically where it looks and it smells out if something looks like a staging environment, you know, disables render, does a few things. Have you ever thought about maybe making those easier for people to find or less in the background? I, I think it takes some of the magic of SEOmatic away where you literally, you just install the plugin and stuff happens in the right environment and you don't want it most of the time to be firing on your staging environment. But do you think that could be the source of some of those? No. No. None of these no. are related to that. Uh, not to say okay. that there aren't potentially pain points there. Yeah. None of these are related to that at all. And the idea with that is that we really want, so just a, a general thesis in software is you want to do the right thing by default or mm -hmm. what will be the right thing for most people yeah. by default, right? So for most people, you don't want it sending analytics data in the staging environment. Yeah. You know, but there are other people that are have complained to me and said, no, I, I have a I really want it to do it in the staging environment. And you can still do that with SEOmatic, but you have to take an extra step to do that. Yeah. And the reason is to protect people from a very real problem that is going to happen to tons of people if I didn't do it this way, where there'll be duplicate crap that's going to be sent to Google Analytics. And then how do you sort that out later? It's a catastrophic problem in terms of trying to sort that data out. So it's not that. And it's not even that plugin, actually, the, the one that I'm thinking of. But there, there have been a number of cases that this comes up that they're like, oh, you know, it works in local dev, but doesn't work on staging or works on staging, but not production or it works on, you know, whatever. And yeah. not to say, Patrick, that there haven't been many cases where there's a bug in my plugin that I've had to go in and fix. Like this happens all the happened. time. So I'm yep, not, yep. not absolving myself from that at all. That you then but blame most on... Then you blame on people like my friend Arthur, who yeah said, "Oh, it's totally on Arthur's side." And then we turned out no. you were you were JSON encoding base sixty four no. in the yeah. No, no, none of that is correct. It I did was, not yeah. say I, that is that is not what I said. You're mischaracterizing what I said entirely. Okay, and that did end up being a a wrong setting. It's what I thought it was. Right, it was, right. It was, it was in, yeah. by default. It was set to 
sharp and it was returning an error and whatever. Let's not get distracted. The the thing I'm talking about is if it works in one place, but not the other, 99 times out of 100, it's going to be an environmental setting yeah. or a config setting or something like that. And try to narrow down what the difference is there and what could possibly be causing that. A lot of times it's just a .env setting. It could be diff- different versions of stuff running. It could be any number could of things. Opcache but... They just deployed and opcache didn't get cleared yeah. and they're running one piece of software. They're running, yeah. But the too long didn't read is not just when you're dealing with someone's plugins, but anything. If it works in one place and not the other, it's probably not a bug in the thing itself. It probably is something environmental. Not 100%. Sometimes there'll be a bug. And I just ran into that today, that there was something that I, I was like, this probably is environmental. And it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't at all. Really? What, um, what, uh, which plugin can you say? Yeah. So it's not a big deal. So this was SEOmatic. Yeah. And one of the things that I tell people, okay, so this was someone who was using it on a Google AMP page. And he had, I know your favorite, right? So on Google, if you have a Google, if you have a Google AMP page, you can't have any inline scripts, right? It's just, you can't have inline JavaScript. That's just, Mm -hmm. that's the way it is. So SEOmatic will render scripts for you. So one of the things I show people and tell people to do is on a Google AMP page, you can just tell the scripts container, don't include yourself. Mm -hmm. And then no scripts will render and you'll be good to go. And I do exactly that on the dev mode site and also on the NY Studio site for the AMP pages where... It gets all the info because AMP needs some JSON LD to work and SEOmatic generates that automatically for you. So all I do is I just disable it and I showed this person the line. I'm like, here, this is what I do. This totally works for me. It's got to be something like cash, you know, something else is wrong, whatever. I ended up being wrong. So what it was is there are certain scripts that Google has that they don't just put some script stuff in the head. They also put it in the body. And the reason they put it in the body is so they can have a no script tag that will then render something or do something if it can't load or whatever. Right. Got it. So he was using G tag, which happens to render something in the body. And I'm using Google analytics on my site. So the thing that includes all of the scripts checks whether the parent container was disabled. The thing that includes the body script does yeah. not check that, hmm. does not check that at all. And, you know, after finding out the the difference between what he was using, and what I was using, you know, super easy to fix. The fix is already checked in. We're already good to go. But yeah, I mean, that was something where I was, I was sure it was something environmental, but it wasn't. So hmm. it works both ways, but 99 times out of 100, if it works in one place, but not the other, look for the differences between the environment before you start trying to track down a bug in craft CMS or in a plugin or, or whatever, because it's almost always going to be an environment thing. The work we do, there's no machine learning. Like it, it's a dumb machine. It, it takes instructions and executes them. It, something must be different. There, there's no, it's not like machine learning where you put it in, there's a black box and who knows what's going to come out on the other end. There's some difference between the environments. And that's why if you talk to any developer, their favorite kind of bug is a reproducible bug because yep. Yep. if you can reproduce it, you can fix it. It's those mysterious bugs that just... You know, they happen in one environment and you just don't, you don't really know what's going on. Those are the worst to try to track down. They're, they're, yeah. they're absolute worst. Speaking of environments, have you taken a look at the new release of Nitro yet? I think that released maybe right after we record our last pod. I don't have it installed. Okay. Because I don't use Homebrew and I know that's the easiest way to install it. Mm. I know there are other ways to install it 
and apparently they're a little bit of work. So I, I watched Ryan Ireland's video on it on Craft Quest so that I could at least understand what it is and what it does and all that kind of stuff. But no, I haven't installed it. I haven't played with it. Part of the reason is, like I was saying, I don't have any real great means to install it. And that's, yeah, yeah that's that's my own fault. I'm just, I'm being a stickler on not running anything <laughs> installed via Homebrew. Yeah. And the other thing is, man, you know, I already have a really nice Docker setup that I'm happy with. It already yeah. works. So I don't... I I don't have that pressing need to solve a problem that makes me want to then jump on board using it. How about you? Yeah, I have it. I, I'm interested now that they're using Docker under the hood rather than, what was it, that Ubuntu something or other? Multipass. Um, Multipass, thank you. Yeah, I'm interested in it now. I wonder if it would make any difference for you just to have a, a common craft-endorsed development environment that people could, okay, if you can reproduce it here, then you can send it, and we know we're working on the exact same environment setup. I don't know if that'll make it easier or harder if people who are at that stage probably can figure things out on their own. I don't think so. And here, here is one of my gripes with Nitro. Docker is wonderful because you can wrap a project in the dev apps for that uh -huh. project, right? Uh -huh. So I could easily, if everyone was using Docker, I could say, give me your project. And I would spin up the exact same thing locally here and be able to debug it, yep. you know? You can't do that with Nitro. You, yep, you have fair. to go in and manually set it up. There's no nitro.yaml that you can mm. just do nit Nitro up and it will read everything. Like in my ideal world, it would be something kind of like ddev where what it does is it actually builds a, a regular old docker compose file for you so it uses standard docker stuff so you get that encapsulation so i'm not i'm not sure that that would actually help me from a reproducing point of view all right i mean for for now it's not a, that big of a deal i can just spin up my own docker container all i need from them really are some of their config files in their database you yeah know? like if fair. i get their if i get their project config stuff and i get their database that's enough for me to spin something up. I don't need all their templates. I don't need all their CSS. Like, I don't really care. I don't really need any of that stuff. That's why I just got a little notification on my watch. I have another bid on my eBay sale. Something we missed in recap. You may be saying, Patrick, it's been a while now. Why is that Mac Mini still up? You may yeah. also be saying, Patrick, I clicked on that link and it is now since changed since we first put up the last episode. Always check your specs when you list something on eBay because you might think you have a one terabyte drive when you really have a half terabyte drive patrick um, yeah it was about a day and a half you false I... advertising catfishing bait and switching <laughs> guy what are you doing that's about a day and a half from the ebay sale closing it was up to eleven hundred dollars there were people watching it you know everyone was primed for this one great mac mini to finally go on the market be, you know yeah I, I took on like one terabyte and i was in the middle of reformatting and getting it ready to ship off the next day and then realized it doesn't have a one terabyte it has 512 gigabytes uh, had to delist it relist it so yeah. patrick patrick Patrick. the saga continues i, I don't know if i'm going to hit with a any sort of a ding from ebay for uh false advertising as mother's milk would say patrick stop patrick, it patrick i don't even want to <laughs> no i i don't listen to the episodes i don't you have to listen to them for all the editing you do but i don't even want to know what happened with that last episode i haven't edited it what patrick is talking about is ben croker came with us to me and said hey for episode 100 how about if we reverse the roles and we interview you and Patrick? And I said, sure, if you want to do that, that's fine. We can do that. And then after I agreed to it, somehow the, the title of it changed to Roast the Hosts. So it came for, it changed from being like an interview thing to apparently they were going to roast us is what it changed to. So <laughs> Patrick Central, is talking about yeah. that 
episode, which is recorded but not edited, which is the story of my life currently because I'm I'm kind of busy. Actually, I have to edit Monday's episode. I got to try and edit that today or tomorrow and get that up. It's going to be the one with Henri Helvetica. Oh, that was a great one. Yeah, that was a good. That was a fun yep. interview. That's going to I think people are going to like that. But so you you had a you had a question for me about something? Yeah, how how the AirPods Max treating you? I I have AirPod Envy. I'm wearing some old Sennheisers right now. You are, you have AirPods Pro in your ears as we speak, but you have the big honkin' AirPods Max in, in the building. Although if you take them out of this uh, protective magnetic case, it may take over your microphone again. So I'm a little bit afraid for you to show them off on camera. Wondering, yeah, what you think about them, if they're worth it, if you're still happy with the purchase. Yeah, so first of all, production value stuff. So you notice there's no microphone anywhere in this mm-hmm. view? Right, kind of yeah. cool. Got a, sh- I've got a shotgun mic right up over there. Yeah, hopefully the there. audio is still good. And then I got these suckers in my ear. But yeah, the the AirPods Maxes, they're amazing. They've got yeah. probably the best noise reduction. I, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, Patrick. I wear them when my kids are around. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, because they have some of the best noise reduction there is. All right, so so anything else? Yeah, I, I, we can talk about this next one. I want to talk about stonks and people investing in GameStop and AMC and how I think so much of it is tied to the user experience of the Robinhood app. But I actually need to run today, so maybe we can save that for next time. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have taken these things out. <laughs> you like unleash them. Oh my, oh my gosh. They're like beasts, man. They they take over everything. All right, there I'm we carrying, go. Yeah, I think this audio is... Uh, no, no, no. Hold on. I'm putting them away. Okay. Yes, Caroline, they are constantly in a force field of deep protection, and Andrew unleashed the Kraken. Well, I felt pressure. It was like Mardi Gras-style <laughs> pressure. Andrew is like, show them, show them. I'm like, oh, okay. I did. Uh, Mardi Gras pressure. <laughs> Whip it out of the bra. <laughs> But that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. I hope you enjoyed the stand-up. Would love for you to join us while we are broadcasting live. Check out the video, ask us questions, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, we take these uh, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on YouTube. Like, yeah. subscribe, etc. search et for devmode. You'll find us. $20 a share and he just kept on holding um and then I, now i've very quickly realized that i'm not good at day trading so we'll talk about that next time yeah that'd be a great thing to talk about next time thanks everybody for showing up and patrick sell at the highs buy at the lows okay <laughs> there we go <laughs>